0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprint. Is Wild Waterworks going to be around for much longer? A worrisome omission. Forge FC champions again. Booze taxes are going up once again. Will Trump get dumped? And beware the Halloween beetle. The GMH podcast begins now. (laughs)
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML.
0: The city of Hamilton is looking into the future viability of Wild Waterworks. It's been around for 40 years now. It brings tens of thousands of visitors to the community, but city staff are recommending that a comprehensive study of this popular water park be done because, well, the, the pools, the slides, they're reaching the end of their expected lifespan. We heard yesterday at City Hall from Director of Environmental Services, Cynthia Graham, who says nothing should be ruled out here.
2: Including
3: options of renewal of water um, park facility, but also taking a look at all options as to what this place could be given all of the council priorities uh, and pressures.
0: Should the city, I mean, this is what we're talking about, should the city invest what is probably going to be tens of millions in dollars to make sure the water park is safe and fun for people who use it? Or should we start to wind down this attraction and and focus our dollars and cents somewhere else? Matt Francis is the counselor for Ward 5 with the City of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Matt, thanks for waking up with us this morning. How are you? I'm good, Rick. How are you doing today? I'm good. Do you want to keep this Wild Water Works open? I guess we'll start there.
4: Well, yeah, that's what my um, what yesterday was all about. I, I asked to defer this motion to the December 4th Public Works meeting just to give more time uh, to sit down with staff. Uh, these reports only get published a few days before the meeting. So um, it's a very complex file. It goes back a number of years, straddling a number of different councils, um, different master plans. It's, it's not a very straightforward file. Gives me an opportunity to sit down with staff, and, and what I did with that is is, is is requested to sit down with them and come up with a plan that potentially looks at a public private partnership as well, um, which would you know obviously achieve both getting it off the city's books but keeping it as a as an asset to the municipality. People could still enjoy a wild wild waterworks, and that's just an exploration. I mean, that's not something we have to choose to go down, um, but we need to look at all options, and that's why I. I made that suggestion yesterday. So that
0: has been deferred to the
4: December meeting? That's correct. So this will be dealt with in the December meeting. Basically, what that's going to do is give staff direction to look at all these different options. Um, They'll report back in about a year's time, and then we'll make a decision in about a year from now uh, what the future of this will be. We're planning to uh, open up in 2024. Uh, I, you know, I was actually a season pass holder with my kids in 2023 and 2022, and I can tell you firsthand, the park is magnificent. Uh, Yes, it is aged, um, but it is—it's a great asset. It's lined up down the down the road on a hot summer day, And, and don't kid yourself, this park is still very much vibrant.
0: If the price tag is in the tens of millions of dollars, just to say, and I know we don't like to speak in hypotheticals, but would it be worth it? Knowing, you know, all the good and all the, the, the people that it attracts to the city, it, at the end of the day, is it going to be worth spending that amount of money?
4: Well, and that's what the options presented back what will tell us now we've already put it out to the consultant who did this work reported back a couple years ago it was quite interesting they had four different options number one was do nothing and let it fail over a few years Uh, number two was replace everything like for like for 26 million number three and four was uh, it was just ridiculous they wanted to turn it into basically uh disneyland uh for 40 and 60 million dollars respectively Uh, and even the, in what I, I I didn't really like was the $26 million, uh, proposal was replace everything like for like, which, if you've been there, it does, not everything needs to be replaced like for like. Um, there's still, you know, you look at the water park, it's the wave pool itself, according to the consultant's report, still has 12 years life left in it. Um, oh, sorry, 15 in that, and the east slides have 12 years left in that. So, the other thing, too, is we don't want to be in a position where we're preemptively uh, turning the lights off either because uh, it is a fantastic asset for the for the municipality. It, it drives in uh, approximately 100,000 people a year, including tourism, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of day camps. And inner-city kids use this, uh, at, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, I was one of them growing up just down the beach. And uh, I can say from experience, you know, um, Uh, Maybe a lot of kids don't have the opportunity to go to Disneyland. This is their Disneyland. So it's a great asset for a municipality. And if we lose it, we're never getting it back.
0: Is it a monetary asset? Is is Wild Waterworks making money?
4: Uh, I'd have to drill down on that a little bit further, but it does, on average, break even at the very least. Um, So, you know, it's not exactly hemorrhaging money um but it, and also there's other things that you can't measure with this as well the hundreds of thousands of people over the years or i'd say millions of people in the 40-year life uh coming into our municipality um from o- outside of hamilton and, and investing time and money in our local businesses as well
0: yeah well said uh matt's good luck with uh, dissecting this and analyzing it a little bit more and uh, hopefully we can keep this thing around thanks for joining us today
4: Thank you, Rick. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Matt Francis, counselor for Ward 5 with the city of Hamilton. I think at the end of the day, you know, a project like this and a projected tax increase next year, I mean, this is the yin and yang of these types of investments, these city investments. If you, if you close it or you go private, could that set a precedent perhaps for other municipal gems like our golf courses? Some people might say, no, don't touch those at all.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: There was a plume of smoke that emerged from or Middle to Fasco over the weekend. You probably saw it, whether it was on social media, some of the news coverage around town, a big, thick, rust-colored cloud hung in the air and had many people concerned about, what the heck was it? Company and the Ministry of the Environment are now investigating the cause of this unplanned emission. Ian Borsick is the interim executive director of Environment Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Ian, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. So, what was this cloud? So the
5: cloud itself uh, was not smoke, um, it was uh, what what the company is claiming to be primarily to be uh, iron oxide. Um, iron oxide is a fancy term for basically, you know, iron dust. Um, there's different forms of it, but it's essentially it's rust. Um, it's uh, It was released as part of the steelmaking process. Um, as far as I'm aware, the company uh, still isn't aware of Uh, how or what happened exactly. Um, But for about uh, 15 minutes, uh, you know, residents uh, were subjected to uh, quite a large emission that lasted for quite a long time. Um, You know, our inbox was ringing off the hook as folks were sending us pictures of it. Uh, It certainly looks very alarming, um, primarily because of that, you know, that iron oxide, that deep rust color from it. Um, but you know, this is not new to the city of Hamilton and, uh, it's absolutely concerning to see, uh, such a large emission happen after, um, honestly, in the last quarter, AMD had a, a you know, a pretty good track record. They ha- didn't ha- really have any major emissions in the last few months. Um, and then of course this happened.
0: Are there any potential health impacts from this iron oxide plume?
5: Yes. So iron oxide on itself, um, if you were to inhale the fumes, like if you were working in the facility, there is a good chance that um, uh, rapid inhalation can be uh, harmful to the human health. Um, In terms of the actual particulate matter that was released into the air, um, iron oxide in and of itself isn't carcinogenic. um, So it wasn't like a particularly harmful substance on its own was released. Um, But it's important to note that when you can see an emission like that and it hangs in the air, that means that most likely there's small particulate matter that is composing of that giant cloud. And when you get to a certain size of particulate matter, and, and we call it PM 2.5, and we're talking about you know particulate matter thinner or, or smaller than your strand of hair, um, you can breathe it in quite easily. But it's very hard for your lungs to expel it because of how small it is. Um, and so it can absolutely cause respiration issues especially for folks who have pre-existing conditions such as asthma um, but on top of that when we see any type of emission like this especially from the steel sector but really any type of industry we have here in hamilton um, that particulate matter can also be gathering up and connecting to other chemicals and other harmful uh harmful materials that can then travel with that uh, with that with that dust so it, while on its own iron oxide isn't the most alarming thing that we could see uh, get released, um, it still poses some significant health impacts. There might be some environmental impacts. Um, And we're certainly, as Environment Hamilton, looking really forward to uh, the MECP uh, investigation uh, that is currently underway.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML is Ian Borsick, the Interim Executive Director of Environment Hamilton, as we're looking at the latest plume of uh, iron oxide emissions from Arsenal middle to Fasco, it, it, could there be an impact on the soil in the neighborhood? And would that be determined on how the wind was blowing that day?
5: Yes, and that's why it's very important for anyone who did capture any images. You know, lots of folks uh, know about our program called Stack Watch that we've been running for many years now in the city. If you did take any pictures of video um, in particular, you know, pictures and video that show the direction and how far that plume traveled absolutely share that with the MECP, so the Ministry of Environment, Conservation and Parks. Um, And the MECP actually has a really convenient um, uh, reporting mechanism that you can find online. The easiest way to find it is just Report Pollution Ontario, if you Google that. Um, And you can in fact uh, put in information Uh, All information will remain anonymous, Uh, you know, won't be published publicly, um, but you can upload images and video uh, to that website. You can, you know, clarify when and where you saw the plume and that can actually really assist the
0: investigators with their
5: investigation of what happened.
0: Uh, More information on what Environment Hamilton does. You can find that on the World Wide Web, environmenthamilton.org. Ian, thanks for the time today.
5: No, absolutely, Rick. Thank you.
0: Ian Borsak is the Interim Executive Director with Environment Hamilton. The MOE, the Ministry of Environment, issued a statement as well, saying they take all threats to the environment very seriously. Arcelor Myrtle DeFasco immediately reported the incident to the ministry on Saturday afternoon and is undertaking an internal investigation into the cause of the incident. The ministry is following up with the company to gather further details on the cause of the incident. The potential impacts from iron oxide emissions are soiling and fallout on vehicles and property. Uh, The statement goes on to say the ministry recommends that anyone concerned about impacts to health from the plume follow up with their physician or Hamilton Public Health Services.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900
0: CHML. For the fourth time in five years, Hamilton's Forge FC climbed the summit of professional soccer in this nation. Justin Borges, a player known for his moments. Extraordinary from the corner flag, service and goals. Borges tries to run <laughs> bad just
1: Borges and Olympico...
0: Thanks to One Soccer for the sound, uh, Forge was not kidding around on Saturday, rallying to beat Cavalry FC 2-1 in extra time. All three goals coming after the 100th minute. Crazy to think at Tim Hortons Field. Kyle Becker is the captain of the now four-time champion Forge FC and joins us on GMH. Kyle, good morning. How are you?
6: I'm pretty good, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And still on cloud nine, how are you feeling?
6: Yeah, I feel uh, feels pretty good.
0: <laughs> you sound a little understated. Maybe it's too early in the morning.
6: <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. It's, uh, it's a little bit of a, a surreal feeling, um, obviously, as you mentioned. It's our fourth time winning this trophy in the last five years. We've been in all five finals. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy to think back to that first year and, and how far we've come.
0: Does it get better with each championship victory? And I know they're all the same because you have different players on each team. But does the feeling get more enjoyable?
6: I think this one's pretty special. Uh to be able to have done it here in Hamilton in front of uh the crowd that showed up on Saturday night at Tim Hortons Field. First team in the in the league to do it at home. It's uh it's special. It's another first for the club. It was a big one and uh I think especially when it was the the way in which it happened and against the opponent in Calgary, it was uh, really special.
0: I want to get to the way it happened in just a couple of minutes, but you know this team has done a number of firsts. Whether it is you know the first team to win the title, or the first team to go back to back, or you know the first team to win at home, as you just mentioned, the first team to win the North Star Shield, now the North Star Cup. When you think of all these firsts, is it mind boggling to think that you've been so consistent and so consistently good for five years?
6: Yeah, I think there's times where you have to kind of pinch yourself. As I mentioned, like looking back to that first year in 2019, every single team in the league had the same idea as us. They were going to be the first one to lift the trophy, and I was going to kind of propel them to to keep demanding more of themselves and keep trying to set the bar higher and higher for this league. And we've been very fortunate uh, fortunate in Hamilton to be the the teams that have really been the ones who've been setting the bar uh, for everyone else.
0: Forge FC captain Kyle Becker is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as the city continues to celebrate uh, Forge FC's CPL championship on Saturday night at Tim Hortons Field. There's a celebration tomorrow night at Tim Hortons Field as Forge will celebrate the uh, Canadian Premier League title with uh, friends, family, uh, fans who will be there between 6 and 7.45 p.m. Uh, Players and coaches will be there in the caretaker's lounge, and the North Star Cup will be there as well. What a final. I mean, Cavalry's Ali Moussi took the air out of the building when he scored in the 101st minute to give them a one nothing lead. Was it a little deflating, or was it, okay, more of a wake-up call to you guys?
6: Yeah, I think it acted more as a wake-up call. I think a big thing was uh, the fans in Hamilton, no credit to them. They kept making noise, they got loud, and it really just kind of pushed us to, to keep going. We didn't really have a choice in the matter at that point. In <laughs> Extra time, you kind of have to throw everything at it, but Honestly, the response from everyone in the building was huge. Rather than kind of taking the sting out of it, feeling the tension a little bit too much, it was like, all right, guys, let's go. And honestly, they just pushed us forward, and uh, the response from the boys was was huge. Getting a goal pretty quickly after that, and you know, we just kept going from there.
0: Yeah, you got the equalizer six minutes later. How how massive of a goal was that? I know the winner is always going to be looked at as the goal that you know won the championship. But if you don't get that equalizer, you're not getting the winner.
6: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think you can see it if, when you watch it back and you hear the response from everyone in the stadium. It was everyone kind of felt something special was starting to happen, so it was uh, it was good, and we kind of just continued to feed off that.
0: We played the highlights uh, from one soccer on uh, Tristan Borges' Olympico corner kick goal. How many times have you watched that highlight?
6: <laughs> I don't think that one's getting old anymore. <laughs> so, uh,
0: did you did was that the plan? Did you know he was going to do that?
6: Uh, well, we do actually have a corner where we kind of just. The, the aim is for the guy who's taking the kick to really just try and shoot, to get a, to put it right on top of the goalie, create a lot of the havoc, and borders can do it better than anyone else.
0: You win on Tim Hortons fields turf, uh, as we just talked about, the first home team to do that. How nice was it to win at home? Because you had an opportunity a few years ago to do that, and it didn't transpire.
6: Yeah, um, and we still had a few guys on the team who were part of that group in 2021. Actually, have two guys who are on the other side of that game in, in Alessandro and, and Terrence Campbell, and so so we had a bunch of we had a whole group who, who'd been there, seeing it for the good and bad, and I think it left a bad taste in a lot of guys' mouths, and we really wanted to make sure that we were on the other side of it this year.
0: So Kyle, how do you run it back again next year?
6: <laughs> I think I'm going to enjoy this one for a little longer <laughs> And then we can start dealing with that
0: In terms of your plans, are you back? Is there any sort of sense that uh, you're, you're closer to retirement? When When is that day going to come? Have you thought about that?
6: Uh, no, I'm still enjoying it still, uh, still feel like I have something to provide And I uh, still got another year in the contract So you guys can't get rid of me yet
0: nice. Well, hey, we don't want you to go Now you have four stars on your jersey Come 2024 How cool is that going to be?
6: Yeah, I think it's awesome. It's fantastic. It's uh, fantastic for the club. It's a testament to, uh, I think, everyone who's involved from the top down, starting with Bob Young and, and everything that he does for us and, as a team and the club and the city of Hamilton, really. So it's, uh, it's fantastic that we're able to celebrate this one together and add another star on that jersey, as you said. It's
0: been a tremendous story from year one and certainly uh, capped off with a bang on Saturday. Kyle, appreciate the time. Congratulations. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you tomorrow night at the Caretaker's Lounge.
6: Sounds good. Thank you for having
0: me. Kyle Becker is the captain of Forge FC. Uh, Tomorrow night, Tim Hortons Fields, Caretakers Lounge, uh, is the celebratory. Victory, championship celebration, whatever you want to call it, starts at six PM, runs to seven forty-five. A meet and greet with the players and the coaches. The North Star Cup is going to be there as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're listening to
1: the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Just as scary as some tricks that you might encounter tonight are the taxes that we pay on things like alcohol, and the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is doing a fine job on. Some of the extraordinary expenses that the government unleashes either on us or just unveils themselves. (laughs) And the CTF is calling on the federal government this time around to cancel its planned hike of the alcohol excise tax. And that tax is set to rise by nearly 5% next year. Franco Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Franco, welcome back to the show. How are you?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. Happy Halloween, everyone.
0: Same to you. So by, I think it's April, is it April 1st when this tax is set to go up?
2: Yep, the joke's on us
0: again this year.
2: April 1, federal alcohol tax is going up 4.7%. And look, uh, this tax has been going up every single year since budget 2017 unveiled by the federal government. Because here's what they did, folks. They put in this very sneaky form of taxation. It's an escalator tax on alcohol. And every single year, our members of parliament are not voting on this tax. It just automatically increases with inflation. Well, a couple problems with that. Number one, inflation is sky high, which means this tax hike next year will also be sky high unless the federal government scraps it. Uh, But here's the real main issue here is that even this 4.7% alcohol tax hike scheduled for next year underscores how much you pay every time you go to the LCBO or every time you go to the restaurant. You're paying half of your beer in tax. You're paying 65% of that bottle of Pinot Noir in tax. And you're paying about 75% of that bottle of bourbon in tax. So we're already being taxed in and a leg here, folks.
0: Do we know where this money's going?
2: Well, it's going into federal coffers and provincial coffers. That's where it's going, right? And look, let me just, let me just tackle an argument head on, right? Because I hear a lot of people say, you know, isn't this for health care? and you know i understand that sentiment but taxes are already making like 75% of the price of spirits so so how high do you want these taxes to go right 100% 150% 200% i think we're already paying enough tax but another key point here is that a tax on a case of beer in canada is five times higher than that same case of beers taxes are in the usa And I don't think you can honestly say that we drink five times less than the Americans. But I think the big issue here is if you're pushing for these taxes for health care. Well, here's the thing. If you're a politician and and that is your belief, then you should have the spine to say that in the House of Commons, to be honest with people in the House of Commons, and to vote on it in the House of Commons. But that's not what's happening here.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Franco Terrazano, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We're talking about the planned 4.7 percent increase in the alcohol excise tax next April 1st. And we talked about this, I think it was last week, that restaurants in this country are struggling and mightily, uh, half of which think that they may not be around a year from now. This is just going to add more to their bottom line, and they're just going to pass it along to customers in, in many respects.
2: Well, that's it right there, right? First of all, we're already paying very high prices for, you know, you just work a long week and you want to enjoy a cold one, maybe with some pals, maybe after men's league hockey, or well, we're already paying half of it uh, for a can of Coors Light or James Ready in tax. Maybe you want to take out your, your spouse, right, you want to have a nice pizza night, you're paying 65% of a glass of wine in tax. So we're already paying an arm and a leg in tax. But the other side of the equation here, it's not just us consumers who are being hurt. To your point, it's also many small businesses, right? Your favorite restaurant down the street. Well, they have to deal with all this additional tax burden as well. And they're also facing a rising cost of input. They just went through a couple years of a pandemic, right? So their margins are going to be lower. Uh, But not just that your favorite microbrewery. I know here in Ontario, when I moved here, I was surprised to see all the flourishing microbreweries in the province. Well, we don't want to hurt them. We want to encourage their growth, but this tax does the exact opposite. Plus the wineries in Ontario as well. I know there's a budding winery industry here, just like there is in British Columbia. Well, we should be encouraging the growth of those industries, but this federal excise tax is doing the exact opposite.
0: Franco, always appreciate the time. Thanks for shining a light on this.
2: Thanks for having me on. Franco
0: Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. They also had a recent article that showed a $117,000 plus bill for dry cleaning from the governor general's office since 2018. $117,000 dry cleaning. That is insane.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Does the actions of former President Donald J. Trump after the last election make him ineligible to run again? Well, some American courts are about to decide that.
7: I'm so indicted and I just can't hide it. I'm about to go to jail and I don't like it. I'm soaked and dyed it. And I just can't hide it.
1: I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. know. I am so
0: screwed. I just couldn't resist. Now, this has nothing to do with his numerous indictments. I mean, part of it is. But it has more to do with Trump's revving up the engine to the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and how it applies to the Fourth Amendment. Brian J. Karam is a political analyst for CNN, a White House reporter and host of the Just Ask the Question podcast, and is waking up with us this morning on GMH. Brian, good morning. How are you?
7: Pretty good. How are you doing,
0: Rick? I'm good. good can can these courts prevent trump from landing on next year's presidential ticket
7: well yeah there's there are constitutional experts who argue that there's a clause in the amendment that would bar trump from becoming president again and that's on trial in colorado right now basically what they're trying to settle in denver is um whether (laughs) donald trump is is a traitor to the united states and then cannot run for office now you, you, you may think what you want of Donald Trump, but that's that's a that's a healthy bit of uh, of ethics to have to handle in a courtroom. So it's going to be interesting. This
0: is also playing out. I uh, hear in a court in Minnesota as well. Yeah. A- and and Trump well, the one
7: in, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, the one in Denver is the one that started yes. yesterday, and that's uh, and it's Section three of the Fourteenth Amendment um, that that it disqualifies anyone who quote engaged in insurrection or rebellion. And so that's that's what everyone is having to. Uh, put their mind around: Did Donald Trump engage in insurrection or rebellion?
0: At the end of the day, it sounds like this is probably going to go to the Supreme Court. Is that fair?
7: Well, it it depends. It's these are civil proceedings, not criminal, and yes, it could end up at the Supreme Court. And yes, it will be. It it, it could. It depends on what happens. Basically, if he's found that he cannot run for office, then I'm sure he'll appeal it. And then if it's found again that he can't run for office, I'm sure it'll appeal it. Um, you know, I remember famously this um, Dr. Ronnie came in the White House one day after Trump's uh, physical and said, you know, gosh, he's, in, he's such a great physical specimen, he could live to be 200. And <laughs> I maintain that if he does live to be 200, he will spend every day of those uh, 200 years from now until the end in, in a court of law, because he's facing so many different uh, so many different things in so many different courts. Given that,
0: uh, and and given that, and that he's you know far and away the most popular choice among Republicans, what does that tell us about politics in America right now? <laughs>
7: <laughs> how much time do you got? <laughs> that's it. it tells you just how horrible we are, how uneducated, how unreliable and how unglued from reality we are but to put it in real good context the recent polls show that only 20 percent 28 percent of uh, American registered voters are Republicans and only 28 percent of that uh, are hardcore um Donald Trump fans. the things you have the thing you have to remember in the United States is very few people vote. So the louder you are, even if you are a minority, you can rule over the majority. If you keep your mouth running, that's the secret that Donald Trump has found. And he keeps his people engaged. And if they go to the polls, he's got a reasonable chance of of being reelected. But I'm one of those who do do not believe I, I fervently do not believe that he'll even be on the ballot next November.
0: Why do you say that? Because he'll just be in court hell?
7: (laughs) Well, there's so many plates spinning, like the old Ed Sullivan show, the guy who kept all the plates spinning. There's so many different moving parts. I mean, he's got 91, 91 felony charges against him. He's not Neo in the Matrix. He can't dodge all of those bullets. Plus, in New York right now, um, there's a civil trial. He's been found liable as a fraud. So that there was a summary judgment there, it's a civil case. They're not discussing whether or not he's guilty, they're discussing how much money he's gonna lose. He could lose you know, a quarter or more of his empire in New York. Meanwhile, you have the 91 felony charges and then you have the uh, in Minnesota and Colorado, and I think there's another state that's looking whether or not they'll remove him from the ballot. Those are all moving parts. And look, he's not the healthiest guy on the planet. I know everyone talks about Biden, Being, you know, three years older, but essentially they're the same age and Biden is in far better shape than Donald Trump. I recently went to a Donald Trump, one of his events. He is not in as good a shape as he was in the White House. And so physically, he may not be there physically, mentally, and he could be behind bars or broke. There's just too much, too many parts moving for anyone to say definitively, he's he's already got it sewn up.
0: In our in our last thirty seconds together, if Trump's not on the ticket, is it DeSantis? Because we know Pence isn't going on.
7: You know that's the question. That and here, look, here's the real question: Will either one of these guys, the incumbent president or Donald Trump, the ex president, be on the ticket in 2024? And I think that is still up in the air on both cases. Wow, Brian, appreciate the time as always.
0: Thanks for waking up with us this
7: morning. Anytime, anytime. It's a joy. Same to you.
0: Brian J. Karam, political analyst for CNN, White House reporter, host of the Just Ask the Question podcast. Check it out wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Have you noticed a lot more ladybugs in and around your home all of a sudden? Last week, especially for me, I noticed... Three or four of them kind of flying, not in the home, but at the front door. And I'm thinking, why all of a sudden are all these ladybugs approaching? What are they up to? What plan, what, what devilish plan are they concocting? Well, apparently as the weather cools this fall, more and more of these and other types of bugs are being found indoors, including, as I mentioned, the Asian lady beetle, or the Halloween beetle, as it's come to be known. Dr. Alice Sinia is from Orkin, Canada, and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Sinia, good morning. How are you today?
3: Good morning, Rick. Uh, thanks for having me on your program. Why
0: the increase in the Halloween beetles? Why are we seeing so many more of these things?
3: Okay, first of all, the population build up over during the summer. And now, as soon as the temperature drops below 10 degrees centigrade, that's in the fall, they start looking for places to hibernate, overwintering sites, and where to go. So they have to go inside. indoors. So that's really why we're seeing this massive uh, population of ladybugs trying to get inside. They just try to cry away from the cold.
0: Alright. So they're they're not out to get us. They're just they just want to stay a little bit warmer.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I do uh, I,
3: I did read that they bite, however. Yes, actually the Asian ladybugs are on their own they're really beneficial because they try they control outdoor soft body insects like Aphids. So they're really very beneficial. <laughs> however once uh, they can actually bite, they don't really bite intentionally, but especially if they're they're trapped on the body, like they enter under the clothing, then definitely they can bite. They don't transmit diseases. they don't carry disease. Hmm. Uh, they don't cause damage structure damage, they don't tunnel into wood. Except that when they're in large numbers, they can become a nuisance. That's really when they become troublesome to us humans. So when should we
0: be concerned at those large numbers? When we see a handful, should we be calling people like you at Orkin?
3: Uh, Not necessarily. If you really see like over 50 plus, especially... Um, when they start amassing or gathering on the southwest side of the building of the house and it's because these surfaces usually receive more uh, sunlight and warmth during the during the fall Mm -hmm. Um, so it's the walls are really warmer so they tend to congregate on the south southwest side of the wall so if you see the number is like 50 plus definitely it's something you should be concerned Um, As pest control companies, we don't have much alternatives or tools to really control uh, Asian ladybats because it's not on the products that we use for controlling other insects. So there are just a few things that you can do as a homeowner. If you find a few, you can just vacuum them and just dispose of them, or you can just uh, create a refuge plant and dispose them where those plants are so that they're safe for next year. Hmm. So those are really a few things you can uh, homeowners can do. However, the most important thing is to prevent them from going inside because if they stay outside, that's okay. So, just a few things to do to prevent them from going outside. My best advice is uh, during uh, early fall to do a walkthrough outside of the building. So, look for any cracks and crevices, any opening which is more than two, mil- uh, three millimeters wide. Ladybugs, the Asian ladybugs can get through. So, any gap. Uh, find it and then seal those gaps so for example poor those uh, door sweeps because they can go through underneath the door around the window sills if you have gaps cracks and uh, cracks and crevices or if uh, door screens or window screens are worn out it's torn they can still come through unscreen vents or missing roof tiles so those are things to look for. Gaps around utility pipes where it goes into the wall. Most cases we take that for granted, but it's always a gap around there. So once if uh, these openings are found, it should be sealed. So uh, homeowners can really caulk it using uh, silicone material or another pest pest resistant uh, caulking material. So once you're able to do that, you'll keep them outside and they won't be going inside.
0: Great tips from Dr. Alice Sinia from Orkin, Canada, as she is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, talking about Halloween beetles or these Asian uh, lady beetles who are uh, cropping into our house to uh, get warm for the winter months that are coming up. Are there any other critters at this time that is keeping Orkin teams a little busier this year? Rats, squirrels, raccoons, I'm sure they're all finding a, trying to find a warm place to uh, stay.
3: Oh, yes. There are always critters trying to get inside because everyone is trying to (laughs) run away from the cold. So, yeah, uh, we have rodents, especially uh, mice and rats, because it's getting cold. They're all trying to get inside. Uh, We have overwintering insects such as the box elder bug, uh, the brown marmorated stink bug, cluster flies. These are all uh, critters that uh, they tend to... overwinter indoors or in warm structures. So definitely have to be out and look for it. And uh this during the season we're really okay is really busy uh with all these overwintering insects because they're trying to get inside. So we get tons of calls. So uh just advice to homeowners is um just try to perform an exclusion. Try to keep these pests away. So again, find those entry points, uh, seal them, keep your doors closed. And if, for the case of cluster flies, box elder bugs, sting bugs, and rodents, yeah, you know what? Just call a professional pest control company out there, such as Orkin Canada. And for sure, they'll come out and help you to uh, design a program to be able to take care of it. But again, it goes back to exclusion. So right at the the, the start of fall, it's very, very important to, to do that exterior inspection, not just for the Asian ladybugs, for all different types of critters that we we'll try to get inside, mm-hmm. because they're looking just for that warmth, for shelter, and also for food, especially for rodents, because they have to rodents have to feed. Throughout the winter, it's only the insects that will not feed. They'll just go to sleep until the springtime. They wake up and come outside. So it's very important to make sure that you know you don't have a potential source of food that will attract rodents to your property. And then inside, uh, seal out those entry points and make sure reduce clutter on the property, which also attracts rodents. Uh, once they get into on the property, then the next thing is they'll just try to go inside. Yeah, and
0: that's, that's when they really become a problem. Dr.
3: Sinia, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. Thank you. Have a good day.
0: You too, Dr. Alice Sinia from Orkin, Canada. Coming up, Donald Trump back in Corinth. That's next on GMH on 900CHML.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.